Uh, Father, I thank you so much um, for your goodness. That I want to stop there. God, thank you for your goodness that stands in contrast to this world um, and even to our own heart and thoughts sometimes and that uh, your goodness has overcome evil. And Lord, if we if we will come to you in humility and, and, and commit our lives to you, that your goodness will overcome our evil and uh, that we'll forever be changed and made good and holy. Uh, I pray for protection over this place from all the enemy snares and attacks, attacks of people in the community online uh, that are enemies if those exist and even in this room. And uh, that, Lord, you would do what you've always done and that you would uh, set the captives free, um, heal the brokenhearted, Father. I just pray that you would help me to preach your word, uh, to preach it well. That wouldn't get in the way. I give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. How are you guys doing today? Well, hey, well, there's going to be an official kind of recognition of fathers uh, at, <clears throat> at, the, uh, at the end. But I do want to take a second and, you know, slow down for a minute. And hopefully you guys, gals, everyone in there, you know, fathers get a bad rap. Sometimes deservedly so, um, and but just culturally, and not really. We don't really have a, a place. Sometimes we don't really have a purpose. Is what it can be made to seem like, um, and that's not true. You know, psychology, sociology, all those things prove that. So, if you know a good father, right, and good doesn't mean perfect. There isn't a perfect father, but if you have a good father, or you even know a good father, you know, take, take the opportunity today to, to give them a little encouragement. You know, some of you prob- probably, my guess would be, don't have a father or have had an absent father. Take a second today to let yourself think about and appreciate any kind of man that's come into your life and giving, giving some sort of positive, um, I don't know, impact, right? Because we're certainly going to hear a lot of the bad that's going to happen. Um, but take the time to do that today, <clears throat> and it's easy to focus on the negative. I get it, right? And I'm not saying to gloss over things that have been done, people have been hurt, but, you know, good fathers are a blessing, um, and I, I hope that you guys <clears throat> culturally let yourself accept that and don't buy into the lie that all men are evil, because that's the truth, right? I mean, that we tend to, to believe if you, if you watch TV. That's not the case. So... I'm going to get really loud to wake everybody up, randomly. I see everything up here. I see you falling asleep. I see your anger. All right. That's okay. I'll make you more mad by the end. Uh, not, not Juju, not today. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> um, but I just want to say that. Man, I kind of have another announcement I want to talk about that before this whole thing, so I guess I'll do it because I don't get to do announcements at the end. Here's the thing, guys. I don't know if you know statistically, and I don't remember off the top of my head. Someone can Google it. Don't, Juju, that doesn't mean Google it and yell it out. Okay, I know you. But uh, you can look this up. Churches tend to lose a huge amount of people during the summer. They, they just do. Because you know why? It, the weather's nice. And for some reason, isn't this crazy? Sunday's the only day you can do anything in the sun. Only between about 9 and 1. That's the only time you can do anything in the sun. So here's the thing. I love being... Um, statistic breakers in a good way around here. I don't like normal. I don't like that. So I would love to see this. I know, I think Austin brought this up a couple weeks ago and apparently offended some people because you always think I'm talking directly to you and I'm like taking note of when you're here. 
listen, I love you. I've got a lot of things going on. I'm not paying attention just to you. But I think our church can be something different, and we already, we already are, and we can grow during the summer. We're a very active church, right? We kind of go in hibernation in the winter. So this is a good opportunity for you to invite people, right? You're supposed to be making disciples of all nations yourself. I'm going to give you, and, and that's a fact, not the church, you. But for some of you, the first step might be just inviting someone. So when's the last time you invited someone, right? You didn't make the decision for them whether they want this God thing, but you'd have invited someone, either someone that doesn't, a believer that doesn't have a church home, or someone that doesn't know God but is at least open to it. There's no point in inviting that guy who hates everything about Jesus and all that. There's no point. Just pray for that guy or gal. But there's people in your life who are looking. Be open to that. Don't get in the routine of doing the same thing over and over again. Okay? Make sense? Listen, I came in excited, all right? I'm rolling on a few hours sleep, and I'm looking out, and you're already half asleep. I ain't playing this game with you today, all right? Wake up, uh, and let's get through this, because we're, in the, we're about to start this series I've been telling you about for a long time. So I'm going to get back on my notes here. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad, I'm glad you guys are here. <clears throat> I really am. Hopefully I get a chance to say hi to you. Um, listen, Christianity in general... If you're, if you're a Christian in the room, this should be, you should know this. If you're not, I want to give you a little clue. Christianity is characterized in and of itself by our need for a Savior. If you don't need a Savior, then you don't need Jesus. It's a trick question. You need him regardless of whether you think you do. But it's characterized by our need for a Savior. So that involves, in order to need a Savior, you need to know you need saving. Right, Eli? Yep. You need to know you need saving. <clears throat> See, man, you're growing up. I'm calling you out in the middle. Girlfriend's next. Be ready. <clears throat> Looking away is not going to make me avoid you. <laughs> uh, involves a recognition that she'll never come back. I'm just kidding. Involves a recognition that we're lost and hopeless on our own. You have to accept that, right? If you're a believer in this room, at some point in your life, you've come to that recognition that you were missing something huge, that life wasn't what it was supposed to be, and that you needed a Savior, someone to come into that brokenness, that darkness, that evil, and save us. It's a recognition that we as humanity, regardless of our belief, have chosen to rebel against God, and because of this sin and all of its effects have entered our world. Sin is not just the bad things you do. Sin is a disease that leads to the evil you see in this world. So it doesn't matter if I take a cough drop and I stop cussing, right? Oh, oh. Right? That's way on the low, low on the totem pole here of importance, by the way. Or, you know, I, today I, did, I treated my wife with kindness because I read Oprah's newest book, 12 Steps to Being a Better Husband Tomorrow, right? <clears throat> Something else pops up. And sin and all of its effects have entered our world and we see it. We've all sinned. Everyone in this room knows it, whether you like God, admit God's real, he doesn't need your your belief to exist, but we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of, the God, of, glory of God, is what the Bible says. And that it, it, Christianity is a recognition that even if we clean up our sinful actions, like I said, that the bro- if we could somehow fix the broken, dirty, evil parts of ourselves that we're aware of, it wouldn't be enough because like those cups with a bunch of leaks, you, put it, you don't have enough fingers for all the places it's popping out. We are infected with this disease of evil that separates us from an eternal, holy, and good God. Now, you've heard me say this countless times, right? If you've been here at the end, it's my kind of speech. I'm going to try to mix it up more. 
this gospel presentation, but thousands of years of human existence have shown us what it looks like when you and me, I got to say that or you get mad, walk away from the creator and do what we want to do. When we think we know good enough, what happens when the creation walks away from the creator? War, killing, death, disease, hate, abuse, cruelty. To put it plainly, evil is everywhere we look. All you got to do is turn on the news or, hey, you young folks, check your social media. It's always telling you everything bad. God has allowed humanity to have the choice. Can't have it both ways. You, be, you want free will? Then you had to have the choice. And the choice is what? To reject him and his goodness and his love and the light, and in doing so, we have to live with the consequences of that decision. Our world is in darkness. Jesus offers us a way. He gives us hope and light in this darkness. He gives us an opportunity to be made clean, whole, forgiven, to walk out of the darkness and into the light. If you're bored with this part, you've forgotten who you are. I've been told many times, and this is ironic because I am a Christian, that I don't like Christians. That's not true. I don't like self-righteous Christians because in your tendency to forget who you are, you tend to, to forget who the world is and how desperately they need the light that you've taken for granted. <clears throat> he offers us a way. And so if we walk into that light, if we come to him with our sin, if we admit our evil and our need for a Savior, we know what happens next, right? We get reborn and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we turn away from that selfishness, if we turn away from the evil, the hate, and begin to walk in a new way, not perfection, because it's impossible on this side of heaven, but to walk in grace and mercy, forgiveness, generosity, love. In essence, when we come to him with our evil and put our faith in him, we become good through him. It's like a filter with dirty water. Get it? Filters all the bad. To become good, which means what? To become more like Jesus, who is what? The perfect and good king. Listen to this. In the first chapter of the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul puts it pretty clearly about our situation, starting in verse 9. You got it? Get ready. I'm coming fast today. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that, what, you may have great endurance and patience. <laughs> Boy, this next one, we Christians, including Todd, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Listen, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There are essentially two worlds in this life. Two worlds. you got to wake up that there is a reality that you don't see with your eyes. You see its effects, but you don't see it clearly. We live in two worlds. Some of you are going, that's not true. Yeah, it is. Why not? Didn't it say? The domain of darkness, kingdom of the sun. There has to be two. There is the domain of darkness, which is the natural way this broken world rolls now. With its cruelty and its selfishness and its hate and its evil. And it stands in contrast. It's contrasted here, Paul. Contrast it with the king of the sun. Right? Kingdom of the sun, I'm sorry. Which is characterized by what? Light and love, grace and forgiveness. Essentially, everything good. We see this through all throughout the Bible. 
This contrast between good and evil, light and dark. Isaiah 9.2 says what? The people walking in darkness foretelling Jesus' coming. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So what can we take from this? There are two forces vying for control of this world. Now before I continue, it's not equal. Okay, Dualism isn't real. Fancy word for it. Satan is not as powerful as God. You know the meme where they're like arm wrestling? That's ridiculous. It's not equal. So when I say that, but listen, but there is something going on here. There is a war vying for you. For this culture, it's not an equal fight. God has and will win. The victory is assured. But in the meantime, this domain of darkness continues to rule the culture of the world as our great enemy, the deceiver, continues to pull this world deeper and deeper into darkness. Jesus makes a stunning statement in the Gospels. When the Pharisees try to once again twist his words, twist religion to to fit their narrative, he says, they say, oh, you're of the devil. And he goes, no, 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 no. You have always been a son of your father. He was a liar at the beginning, and he's a liar now. And the implication is, those that are in the kingdom of the Son, you become sons and daughters of the true king, the way you were created to be. And if not, in this room, it does not matter what you believe, and it's okay to get mad at me, and it's okay to say it's not going to happen, and this world will clap for you, and they'll tell you you're right, and they'll tell you this is condemning, but I love you enough to tell the truth. If you're not with God, you are serving the enemy. Sometimes people pretend to be serving God and serve the enemy too. Maybe in this room. Culture. We talk a lot about it a lot at this church. Culture is the way everything works, right? Everything has a culture. You've got a work culture. Have you ever been to those boring work meetings? How do we change the culture of this place? Blah, 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 right? I used to hate those when I worked at the bank, <clears throat> which is why I would duck out. Real early. I've done that before. I got my goodie bag, though, and then I left. Anyway, <clears throat> evil. Um, <clears throat> culture is, is everything. It's hard. To, it's everything that makes up society. It's, the, it's what's accepted, the accepted practices, right, of a certain culture. What is considered appropriate? What is considered good? What is considered wrong? What is considered polite? What is considered the right way? What is considered the wrong way? What we look at, what we listen to, what we eat, how we dress, all of it. Culture is, it it doesn't, you can't say I'm outside of culture. No, you're not. You're in some culture. And culture starts really broad, right? We have a culture of this world, and it works its way down to this church. And even in your families, there's different cultures, different ways to do things. Here's the thing, because the domain of darkness has been entrenched in this world so long, its effect on culture is very insidious. That's a fancy word meaning sneaky. And I'm going to tell you this right now because I might as well start offending. This is for my, the people that are members of this church, right? You're fooled sometimes. Me too. Me too. The, the, the culture of this world, I shouldn't even have to say it, whether you believe in Christianity is what? It is counter-cultural. 
to the kingdom of God. It has to be, right? Even if you don't think it's right, if you hate Christianity, you can at least admit, let's start here, they are diametrically opposed. No, they're not, Todd. Just because you use the same words for different things doesn't mean that you're the same. That's a lot of words. Let that sink in. The effects of culture has begun to blind people, right? Because when something becomes accepted so long and society claps, you start to believe that's the right way, right? It's like Pavlov's Law. Here's a treat. You ring a bell, right? And you start salivating. No one? Science class. Guys, pay attention. It's the only thing I remember. I'm just kidding. We get rewarded for going the way the culture tells us to. What do we get rewarded with? Likes, hearts, emojis compliments, status, identity. And so what happens is you grow up in that, oh, I I can see it, but then it goes on for 50 years, then 100 years, then maybe one little thing changes in your family, right? And Grandma Jane, just one area, she just gets one area kind of weird. She's kind of like culture affect her in one area, and then she teaches that to her child, and then your mom goes, has that, and then builds on a little bit more, right? And then on and on and on, and you do this for centuries. And now social media has made it so easy to control culture, because you've bought the lie that's what's popular is what's good. Because society's good, right? So clearly, it will not tolerate evil. Sure it will. It'll just call it good. The effects of the culture around us, this domain of darkness, has begun to blind people to the truth. It's blinding you to the truth. And here's something very important. There's no partial truth. This is important. Some of you think because you accept the culture of God in even 90% of the way, which most of you ain't, it's 60, that God's cool with it. You pick and choose, and you're like, well, I like everything except this. And there's the crack. And here's the truth. Here is the truth and why we talk about here. The culture of the world has affected God's church. And the culture of the world has put on a church suit. They call themselves Christian. And if everyone's saying, if if most of the churches were saying the same thing, it must be right. But there's no mention of the Bible. Just what's popular. Before I go on, no one wants to admit this. Let that sink in and ask yourself how often you determine what's right and wrong based on what's popular and acceptable. And before you say, I don't do that, sure you do. The areas that you want to be right. The areas you want to be right, you will accept what's popular. The ones you don't like, then you stand for God. Culture setters, we talk about at this church a lot. It's just a word, though. It's just a word to you. It's just become part of the culture that has no meaning. Culture setting, right, to me is when you stick a flag in the ground and say, I'm not moving. Even if the guy next to me who's supposed to not move moves, I'm not moving. Yeah, amen. Everyone in this room moves. 
Now, God's grace, right? But what happens when we, we take advantage of that and say, it's okay that I move? It's okay that I move because Josh is holding his side up, so it's all right. I can move a little bit. Well, then Josh goes, well, he's moving a little bit. I'll move a little bit. Well, everybody's moving. I don't want to be the only one standing here looking silly, looking stupid, looking hateful. Because they say it's hateful. What's hateful? Anything that contradicts my truth. Truth doesn't even have a meaning. It's whatever you believe. And most people want an echo chamber. What that means is they want to find a group of people that will believe and say exactly what they believe and say so they can hide under the illusion that it's popular. And if they hide under the illusion it's popular, it must be true. And around we go. Culture setters. But in order to stand firm in God's truth, if we want to really set culture, and we should, listen, <laughs> I heard, as Luke calls him, Johnny Mac, right? I always say he wouldn't like me, but I, I like him for the most part. Mm, he's grumpy sometimes, but I like the most part. He said something interesting the other day, and he said, let me, let me break some news to you. We don't win here. Are you, under, are you under the mistake that we win on this side? We win this battle? We don't. We win the war. We've already won. But eventually, right, the masses will fully reject the truth of God and accept a culture that isn't acceptable. And that's why everyone in the room, right, you really believe there's 7 million Christians in America just because there's 7 million people in church buildings? And, you know, I, if you're, I every time have to say, man, am I going to be that one? It's easy. Who are the people that if they move, it's going to be hard for me not to move? In order to stand firm in God's truth, we have to be aware of the ways, the both bold ways and the subtle ways, Christians, remnant folk, because before I talk to the world, we must talk about ourselves. We have to be aware of the ways, both bold and subtle, that God's truth, truth in general, I'm going to talk about that in a second, that word is not subjective. It means it doesn't change. Something has to be true. It's completely illogical to imply there's two truths about the same thing. It can't happen. Either this exists or it doesn't. If everybody's truth matters, it doesn't matter if 50 of you say, 100 of you say this is here, and I say it's not. You've got to respect what? My truth. And so we play this crazy game, and you do it. You do it. I'm not even talking about fighting culture. I'm not even talking about that right now. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. I'm talking about just not moving. And I can, right, I'll talk, I always feel like, you know, people come and they think I'm talking to them. I'm talking to them. I can point out members of this church that I know every single day, every single week, justify not following God, and then show up and go, amen, because they do in some other areas. Now, thank you, Jesus, for his grace. But those who take advantage of Jesus' grace, you got to wonder, where are they really at? I'm talking to myself. Truth in general is being twisted. The good of the kingdom is being attacked, and there's a bait and switch. Hey, here's good. Look over here. It's still good. But the entire nature of the thing has been changed. I know I'm talking big this week, right? I'm talking deep because I believe you guys can grasp this. If not, just everybody do this as it's happening. If one of you do it, I'm going to keep going because you're sarcastic. Denise, I know you. Uh, right? But the good of the kingdom is being attacked, and there's a bait and a switch constantly happening. 
and we're told this. I got a point, Mandy. Just relax. All right. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one and five tells us about this time that's here. It's telling us. Listen, you got it? If you don't, you got to be ready, man. Okay, I don't want to ask that. I just, I, I'm, the reason I have to ask him is I mess up a lot, and he usually does this or no or just looks at me, right? But this time he got it. But know this, the Apostle Paul talking to his mentee, but we know that God is speaking through him. Know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents. <clears throat> Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers. Church, you are slanderous. We are, capital C. And we think it's okay, right? Because it's sin, so we can talk bad about that person who made a a mistake. Without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to, oh boy, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Here's the kicker. Paul was talking to Timothy. Timothy was a leader of a church. Paul's talking to the church. You think he's just meaning the people in the world? There's going to be people that slide in your doors, and they do this. And they'll have a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, let me ask you this. What does that look like? Well, it's easy. It's a powerless, right, godliness. Well, how do we know if it's powerful? The biggest indication of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is not perfection. It is change. Are they changed? It didn't say whether they sin, right? It didn't say whether they make mistakes. It said a form of godliness, but denying its power, denying its power, why? By the way they live, because they don't live different, because they don't have the power to do so. <sighs> anyway, make no mistake, my friends, we are in these hard times. I don't know how long it's going to last. We've been in for a long time, but we are in these hard times. You're in the last days. You've been in the last days since Christ was resurrected. So... And I ain't even through the intro, man. You relax, all right? I'm just kidding. So we find ourselves, God's church, in the midst of a culture war. Really a series of little wars as we try to stand on God's truth in a world that wants us to doubt it, in a world that wants to twist it, and in a world that wants to taint it. It's just a little bit. Water, it's just a little arsenic. It's just a little arsenic. If, if a little bit's okay, then will you, will you, I'll just bring a glass with a little teaspoon of arsenic in it. David, you want to have a drink? How much is too little? A dropper? I don't know about you, but if I see you put a drop of arsenic, I'm not drinking it. I'm not researching how much arsenic I can have. I'm not taking the chance, right? <laughs> We're in a world that wants us to doubt it, to twist it, to it. Surrounded by a culture that wants us to do something Oh, man, listen, friends, this is my point, the whole point. Surrounded by a culture that wants us to do something that God has warned us about through his prophets for so long. Isaiah 5.20 says it, right? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Oh, man, some Holy Spirit goosebumps. Aren't we living in that? 
evil is good and good is evil. And guys, some of us, you know, young people, <clears throat> anyway, right? That's very subjective. That's why. <laughs> but generationally, even since my time, since your guys' time, things that were considered wrong are now considered good. And things that were considered good and okay in my time even, right, were not during some of you that are older than me's time. And it's just become acceptable. And do you see the decline? It's happening. Woe to those. Woe is such a word that we don't use anymore that it's kind of like, oh, that's nice. No, it's, it's a deep, heartbreaking sadness. The kind that makes you want to rip your shirt and cry in the dirt like it's something that you don't even recognize how bad it is. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen, woe to you. confusion, uncertainty. You wonder why you continue to slide off those of you who are saved and do whatever you want in the culture because you don't even know God's culture anymore. Because you don't read his word. Some of you don't even go to church half the time. I don't know which is worse or easier, you know, I don't. We have a very real enemy who is still using the same lie that led to our fall so long ago, and it is the one that he used from the beginning, the very beginning. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Are you sure? Because I see this. You sure he wants you to not do what you want to do? It's okay if it's not your money. It's okay if it's not your stuff because, right, what you want, if mom or dad or my husband or wife were better, it would be okay and I wouldn't have to do that. Who's talking to you? You think that's God? Who wants evil for you? Who wants your life destroyed? Did God really say that? And so that is the point of this series. We're going to tackle these. I told you, it's just the intro. It's the longest part. We're going to tackle these areas in which truth has been attacked by lies and trickery. It's subtle. We're going to shed light on the darkness of these lies by tackling specific areas that have become so confusing to people in our modern culture. And in doing so, the hope is that all of us can be reminded of the truth, repent of the areas that we have made concessions, and be true culture setters in a world that desperately needs it. I'm going to offend you. Mainly God is, but you're going to blame me. Right? Not just them, because there are things I know we're going to talk about that some of you in this room are going to go home and yell at your spouse about because you ain't got the guts to come to me because you don't want to face reality. And that's me too. I've I've been in this place. Stinks. Whenever I preach something to you, I feel like God has to punch me in the face with it first. So, I'm already there, all right? I've been repenting over and over lately. So we're going to talk about that today. But in order to do that, right, we got to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. You like that? All right, that's it, folks. See you later. No. <laughs> we got to start with a fundamental area that, that the culture wars over to, today. We have to start here. 
And I've hinted at it. It's an area that the domain and the kingdom are diametrically opposed, even though they'll use the same terminology for different things. And we'll use, they'll use the same words in that verse from Isaiah, right? But they'll have different meanings. Bittersweet. Ah, that's bitter. This is sweet. Good and evil? No, 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 no. Yeah, there is good and evil, but that's evil. This is good. And what happens over and over? Come on, let's all be real. It's confusing. You start to even, I, you begin to doubt yourself, right? Particularly when the church with a capital C says, yeah. Good and evil, right and wrong, love and hate. We have to know that good and evil exist. Now, here's the important thing. Everyone will say that. Everyone. But that good and evil have a definition that exists outside of what we believe it is. That's important. Todd, what do you mean? I'm going to judge you, Todd, because you're not saying it right. Yeah, I am. Right? A rock is a rock no matter if you call it a bird. I don't care if 50 people call it a bird, you're a bunch of cuckoos. No? I'm on it today. Right? It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Good and evil. Good and evil exist. They have to be defined somewhere outside of us, right? In order for it to be switched, that means one of them's right and one of them's wrong. So we have to know, not right and wrong, what right and wrong is, what good and evil is. So we have to agree that there's a right and wrong. Listen, there's a thing that's been taking over since, you know, I was in college, postmodernism. Anyone heard of it? No? Yeah, like five of us. Good. The rest of you, it's just a fancy word for what we're talking about. <clears throat> it's moral relativism. Moral, anyone heard of that? That essentially means right and wrong is relative. I may think it's okay to do this, they may think it's okay to do that, but we're all okay because we have to see it from where each other came from. And that's fine and dandy until I think it's okay to punch you in the face and take your wife and children, and you don't. Todd, no one does that. Really? <clears throat> there has to be a right and wrong. We all know this intrinsically. I'm going to give you a simple verse. we got a lot today that's going to spell it out. Romans 12, 9. You ready? You ready? You ready? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor. Abhor. That's a weird word. Nobody knows. It means detest. If I'm told to love what is good, by the way, the fact that love's in there in the midst of this is so interesting because, huh, but before we get... It, I was going to say something that I already know that gets messed up, too, because we're going to talk about it. True love is certainly a part and is one of the things that separates good from evil. However, that definition, love, has very, 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 very much been twisted because you believe love is making people comfortable. I believe love is making people safe and holy and right, and so does God. Your comfort's irrelevant. I've said this before. I love my daughter. I want her to be happy. If a car is coming to hit her, I will, I will spear tackle her across the street. I'm not worried about her broken ribs in that moment. I'm worried about her life. You understand? Some of you, I don't know if you do it because you're like, what if I sprain her ankle? She's going to get hit by a semi. Move. What if she doesn't like me anymore? At least she's alive. Selfish love worries about whether the person thinks you're good. You should be caring about their good. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. There's a clear distinction made between good and evil, right? How do we know that? Pretty easy. Detest what's evil. Hold fast to what is good. Hold it. You can't 
detest and hold fast to the same thing. You don't hold on to things that are detestable, right? Josh, how often do you hug a skunk? Really? Because we got one out back in the shed. You know that. Go hug him. You don't want to. You don't hold fast. I love you, skunk, and just spray it in the face over and over. You're not doing that. You don't hold fast to things that are detestable. So there's a, they're opposite. We can start there. Agreed? We're not even two definition. Good, evil, are opposed. Yes? Good. People of God are to hold on to good and not just avoid evil or kind of be like, well, I don't want to offend you, but abhor it, detest evil. Like that skunk, Josh. You got to chuck that thing like that nasty skunk, right? All right, so we're going to start. You ready? This is, man, sometimes. I don't think that thing's good. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. See, Luke? Right, you aren't going to have, you don't have to write it yourself. You guys got lazy. It's not going to be on the screen. Write it out. We're going to start with the good. What does that mean? We got to define good, yeah? We're going to understand this. No? Some of you are like, no, we don't need to define it. All right? Yeah, we do. We need to define good. All right. Hebrews 13, 20, 21. Listen to this. I know there's plenty of verses, but listen to this. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Man, there's so much there. I just want to stop real quick because even if we put our faith in Jesus, even when we slip back, even when we slide, even when we make mistakes, even sometimes when we get fooled and, and or just willingly choose it, his goodness What he's done for us is everlasting. The everlasting covenant. Equip you with everything to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Simple. We'll start with the most simple. What is goodness? Goodness is what is pleasing in God's sight. It is pleasing in God's sight. If you want to be good, it must be something that God is pleased to look at. If God isn't pleased to look at it, it's not good, right? I can go take a big piece of manure and spray paint it gold and spray some uh, funk away on it, okay? And I will give it to you, Jill, and say, I want you to eat this, right? And I don't think you're going to eat it, right? The real question is, if everyone in the room was eating it, would you? Not you, Jill, just in general. I'm saying a lot of names today. I'm not supposed to do that. Hey, guess I will probably never say your name until I know you really well. I'm just kidding. All right, and know that you're not going to be that. So we have to know it's doing what's pleasing in God's sight, right? It's doing what? Good is doing his will, doing what God wants us to do, and when we do that, It's doing what is good in God's sight. So what God wants us to do is do what's pleasing in his sight. Okay, we got to go, what does that mean? Why would he say that? Why would God say that? Mark 10, 18, they said Jesus, he he used this sort of backwards. They say, hey, good teacher. And he's making a point saying, play on words. I don't have time for this. You don't have it, do you? You do? Man, come on, Grant. Stay with me today. Why do you call me, I wasn't really angry. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. He's making a point. He is good because he is God. But no one is good but God alone. So if we want to be pleasing in God's sight, right? And Jesus tells us here that no one in their nature is good except God. That means what? That to goodness is to act in accordance with the character of God. Fancy words. It means act like God. Act like God. 
do you want to be good? You have to act like God. Sometimes, a little bit. Goodness is the character of God. All the ways that reflect the character and heart of God is good, which means what? Everything that it stands to reason, that everything that doesn't represent the character of God, everything that doesn't follow God's will, everything, anything that is contrary to the character of God or is contrary to his design must in and of itself be evil. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm serious. I know I'm sarcastic a lot. Am I going too fast or is this working? Right? So if you want to be, I'm building a case here. If you're in this room, you must at least be open to the possibility that a God exists. And if a God exists, then he is above us in all ways. So I'm building that case, right? So to, to be pleasing in his sight means we must act like God. And follow his direction. Why would we would following his direction be a part of that? Because if he's the only one that is good, who knows what is good for you? What? God, yeah. God. God. Anything outside of that. Listen to me, friends. Anything. Anything outside, not of his church not of Christian leaders, God himself, anything outside, contrary to the character and will of God is evil. Okay, so let's keep building that. And the beauty is God gives us direction, right? The Bible's filled with it. About Now do you understand? He's telling us about himself. That's the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is the character of God made flesh. He is everything that we are supposed to be. He is everything that you want to be. He is everything good and pure and, and amazing that we, have, we can even fathom. We know it. We see it. He is the example of what we were supposed to be and what we can be again through him. But we're told some specific things. Galatians chapter 5. All right, I'm going to start at verse uh, 14. Stay with me. For the whole law, now we're going, right? God, what does God want us to do? Some of you are going, there's too many rules. Listen, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Now, we will define love sometimes, and we're going to talk about it here in a second. Because some of you go, cool, that's what, I'm loving people when I'm just letting them do whatever they want without telling them that. You can't control them, but you're going to tell them, right? The whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. Boy, if that isn't indicative of the church today, I don't know what is. Church with a capital C and us sometimes, right? Going on, he says, I say then, right, if what? If the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor statement, love your neighbor as yourself, then I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. We have another comparison, another opposite. The Spirit, capital S, that's the Spirit of God that indwells all believers, sealed inside of you, is contrary to what? That other part of you that's not finished yet, right? That fleshly part. They, right? This explains why Christians, you still want to do things you know you shouldn't do. That doesn't mean you're not saved. The fact that you can recognize that is a good sign that you are. Make sense? 
That's a deep one. And a lot of people don't want you to know that. They want to condemn you with that. But by recognizing it, that's a very good sign. That's why a lack of conviction is disturbing in a Christian. Lack of conviction does not mean whether or not you, you keep going back to that well. It just means, do you, is there anything inside of you that says this is wrong? How about all the, oh boy, I'm about to pick on you Christians. That's all of us, right? How about the ones that are like, I know all this, Todd. That's what you sound like. <laughs> it's the same thing. Listen, for the flesh, here we go. We're not care of the desire of the flesh. Why is that so important? For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. The recognition that you don't want to do that. What's that? Whatever it is, is a good indicator. It's not the only one. Now, in order to do this, if, we're, if the whole law, we're building a case for goodness, right? And now we know that love your neighbor as yourself is the fulfillment of God's will and his character, then we've got to define it. There's a lot of ways we can do it, but I'm going to give you one that's pretty famous. 1 Corinthians 13. Here, ask yourself this. Are you this? Is the church characterized by this? Is our church characterized by this? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not arrogant. Is not rude. Is not self-seeking is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. But what if, the, what if they sin real bad? we got to make sure everyone knows. we got to warn them about the wolves. <laughs> Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Do you find joy in seeing a brother or sister fall? Right? Because if you're pointing at them, then nobody's pointing at you. That's why we like when someone has a big fall, because it kind of distracts everyone. Look at him, he's real bad, right? That's you doing evil. Anyway, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. There we go again. If If it says, right, that it rejoices in the truth, and here's the kicker for some of you. I want to get a stool. This would be a moment when I sit and wait, just pretend. This is the kicker for some of you. You believe that love and truth are separate. You believe, yeah, yeah, I'll explain to you, all right? I'll explain to you, Jaden. When you let your love trump truth, love, it's not love at all. When you will let someone live in evil, when you won't call evil what it is so as not to offend, it's not love. It's enabling. It's, giving, it's, it's watching someone drink the arsenic water and telling him that it's clean. That's so prevalent. And, you know, there's kind of two streams in the church, right, two ways that we go, two extremes. One says, you're condemned. You know, I do find joy in the rest, and I love to watch people burn because it's all about are you good enough by can you keep your sins hidden? That's really what it is. Or the other side, it says, do whatever you want because God is love. The new generation leans on that side. The older generation was the other. Rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The whole Bible's filled with this, but I'm giving you verses to cling to in the moment so you, when you're holding on to that culture, right, you can hold on to and remember, is what I'm doing really loving? Because if it's separate from truth, it's not loving. And that's particularly with believers. You know, 
the only truth we need to tell unbelievers is that they are sinners and they need Jesus. Trying to get them to clean up their sinful acts when we struggle to do it when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit is ridiculous. Right? If you just stop being gay, God will love you. I told you I'd offend you. That's a lie. You're lying to people. That's not going to save them. It's not even, that's not even a part of it. It is, Todd, don't say turn away from sin. Are you completely turned away from it? Are you completely perfect? Yeah, they have to turn away from it, and they have to seek a new way, but that doesn't matter if they don't know who Jesus is and who they are because their sin doesn't begin and end with their homosexuality. I told you I'd offend somebody on both sides. It's fine. God loves them right where they are and wants them to turn to him just like he met us in our sin. And lust is lust. Now, make no mistake, people in the world will twist that and say, well, since everybody struggles with lust, it's okay. No, no, no. Let me tell you why it's not okay. That would be like me, right? I'll say Bob if I say me and it starts a bunch of Bob's saying, coming up here and preaching and saying, I slept with five prostitutes and it's okay because I like prostitutes. Ain't nobody going to be okay with that. Then why are we okay with the other? Because it goes that way too. Lust is lust. Wrong is wrong. The argument of whether born or not is irrelevant. Some people have a propensity towards alcoholism, and some people naturally have a propensity towards another sin. We all need a Savior. We all need to turn towards God. Now, we know what love is. Now, somebody's going to clip this, both sides. I'm going to get both sides here, clipping that, and making some... That's okay. That's, it's just going to happen. <clears throat> Let those with ears to hear, hear, right? Now, that's cool. We know what love is, but then he goes farther. He tells us in ways we can understand so we at least have a place to start. We're going back to Galatians, right? And we're going to start at verse 22 going through 26. Listen to this. We had, right? Well, we're not yet. We're going to start. So here it is. I, I, all over the place here. Galatians 5.22. Do I got that? You don't have it. Well, that's too bad. Look it up, guys. It's there. But the fruit, right, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I call goodness rape, is that okay? Can I, is, is that goodness? Why not? Why not? Where's the line of what I say is good and what you say is good? Where's the line? We intrinsically know. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Remember, everybody thinks God wants us to not do it. No, God wants to protect you from evil. His law was always based around that. Evil is what, remember? We're not talking about intention. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? That's the saying. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified is the most painful form of death. They, it hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes walking away from the things we want to follow God is going to hurt. But God is with us, right? He's going to walk with us. He empowers us. He says he'll never leave us. He says he understands that hurt. And that if we'll trust him, that he'll work out all things for the good of those who believe according to his purposes. It tells us that in Romans. And that anything, right, that he is asking you to give up, is a drop in the bucket to the good that he has for you. 
the world wants you to believe that fight for that drop. When he's, they say, just turn away, I've got a whole bucket. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Boy, that's a good one. You know what that means? You say you have the Spirit, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. Let us not become conceited. You know what conceit is? It's a self-idolization. It's a self-focus. Right? Humans, we have a tendency to do that. Provoking one another, envying one another. Good is joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's good. Whether you want to agree, argue about anything else, is anyone here going to say those things aren't good? They're good. So there is a good. God defines the good, and the things he calls good are actually good. Are we good? Let's talk about the bad. I got to hurry here. I go too long. I'm from the south, man. They go a long time. They got to have towels up here. Last week, someone said, Todd, your back's sweaty. I was like, it's okay because it's my back. <clears throat> Couldn't see it until I walked out. Um, let's talk about the bad. So what are the bad? Well, God defines that for us to have a place to start too. Because sometimes we're like, ah, God's so big. His character's so big. I don't know. Well, let's look at this. Galatians 5. Do we have any Galatians 5? No? X, okay, 19, you got that? There we go. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, oof. That, now, here's the problem. We'll talk about this later. Remember, I'm giving you broad that we're going to go in and define some of these in bigger detail where the world wants to have a culture war. But we're going to start. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, right? And moral impurity is easy to define. If we believe that God is good and his character is good, then morality isn't based on my desires. It's based on his character and his desires. It's not complicated. We just make it that way. Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're anything like me when I first became a believer and I read that, I'm like, well, uh, I'm saved, but I have certainly had that outburst of anger, and I have now been told I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The key is that those, he's making a comparison to the way the world is, and they practice such things, which means they work at it, right? There's no recognition that without Jesus, we would all, it's another reminder that without him, my outburst of anger would be enough to condemn me to hell. Hell is what? Todd, that doesn't seem fair. Sure it is. If I don't want to live with God, then I must live away from him. So these things, right, this list is a good place to start, that these things are contrary to the will of God. And that also means what? That they show the opposite of love for your neighbor. Right? They show opposite of love for your neighbor. Are you asleep? Sydney? <laughs> she was. I got it. No, you're all right. I'm just, I'm just playing with you. See, I do that so you're always fearful. I'm just kidding. That's not right. You say I am? That's terrible. E <clears throat> Things are contrary to what she was just thinking. Things are contrary to the, these things are contrary to the will of God. So the works of the flesh are contrary to the will of God. Makes sense? Isn't that beautiful? I'll give you some encouragement in the midst of this. If outbursts of anger are contrary to the will of God, how does that mean he views you when you mess up? Does he have an outburst of anger towards you? No. 
have an uncontrollable, I'm going to smack you across the room as his child? No. Evil by its very nature cannot exist in the kingdom of God. How do we know that? Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Good is good. Evil is good. I mean, <laughs> good is good. Evil is bad. See, I already did it. Tricked you. Right? Good is good. Evil is evil. God is good. You cannot associate with evil. I say it all the time. Now you understand my mud ball analogy that people have used the other way around. It's not to justify your sin. It's not to say it's okay, I'm a mud ball. You can't have a perfect white snow snowball, perfectly white, and, and touch it to a dirty mud ball and now say that this is still white. And just like that, a holy, perfect God cannot tolerate and be in relationship with evil. It would taint it. Make, it makes sense? Evil by its very nature. Guys, listen to me. I know I've talked a lot, and some of you are already you know, off to Taco Bell, but I need you to listen because I'm making some points, and one of the biggest points I have to make is right here. This sets up later. I know. I hope I got you to listen for two seconds. Evil by its very nature cannot exist in the kingdom of God. It will have no place there, and neither will those who make it their practice to do evil regardless of their intentions. And that's why we should, we should care. Because so many of our neighbors and friends are dying because they've been told that evil is good. And their intentions in their own mind are to do good, but they don't know what it is. And woe to them because God, they are in a culture that's telling them that good is evil and evil is good and bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. They're drinking poison and they don't know it and we're content to sit in our lofty towers and look down on them and say, oh, that's too bad. When Jesus was so motivated, so motivated to go to them and tell them even when they hated him, even when they and we killed him, because he didn't want to leave them in that darkness. So we talked about, that's, that's odd, guys, it, you know, I don't have a lot more about bad. We'll talk more about it and define it, but all of those things are bad, yeah? You okay with outbursts of anger? What if I say slapping you, Jacob, is not an outburst of anger? It's love. Can I slap you over and over again? See, some of you go, that'd be ridiculous, but you let people do it, and you say you're loving them. I'm just loving them. No, of course not. We know. Don't let the world tell you that you don't know what you know. Now, let's talk about the ugly, and I call it the ugly because it's this, the issue that I've already hinted at here. The ugly is calling evil good. Calling evil good, and some of you do it. There's a difference between struggling at times, backsliding in your holiness, not your salvation, if you believe that. Oof, we can talk. We're probably still in the same camp, right? You, you, you backslide in your holiness. You, you sin. There's a difference between that and, a, and justifying it by saying it's okay and good. Right is right and wrong and is wrong, and the ugly is calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. Our society doesn't dictate good. 
I'm about to offend a lot of people. Understand when I say this, there is no condemnation in me. If you know me, I have sinned, guys. I want to. I talk about all the time with the elders. They tell me I can't. I want to come over and tell you every sin I've ever done. And I don't want to do, sometimes it's selfish so you don't have anything over me, but sometimes it's so you can understand that I, I, I get it and that God's goodness can still, right, work in your life even when you sin. So when I say this, statistically, probably some people in the room, this has happened, and I'm not shaming you, but we got to call it what it is. Can you imagine a world in which we say that killing babies is good? And we justify it by saying that it's good for the person doing the killing. And I've already, I have to tell you the truth. You can call it whatever you want it. You can give it a fancy name. You can wrap it in bows. And I can love the people that are in that desperate state so much. I have a desire someday. I would love for our church, because the church does a lot of condemning and not a lot of helping sometimes in this area, Right? Because to say you don't understand the desperation in it uh, means you don't know what it is to be 16 and not have a family system and all of a sudden be told that you're having a baby and your entire life is going to, right? What would it be like if the church said, I will walk beside you, not just give you a nice book, but I will walk beside you for nine months. I will walk beside you for a year after that. I will give you a mentor that is a woman with a child who will help you in the nights when they don't go to sleep because no one there to help you. What would that look like instead of us just coming out and picketing and telling they're going to hell? What would that look like? Which one would be good? But that's a great example. It's calling evil good by justifying it by what's good for someone else. It's really no different, right? And people are going to argue this, but to me, what is the difference between that and a German taking a Jew and shooting them because this is good for my people to get rid of you people? Now, God's grace covers everything. And I'll say it again. If you're in this room and you're, you're struggling with condemnation now, that's not from God, right? Now, if you don't know God and you're struggling with conviction, that's different. To be reminded of the evil we've done and our need for a Savior is good, right? Because it's, it's bringing us towards life. But it's a good example. And I wanted to use it because it's easy to use you know, homosexuality, because it's such a hot button topic now, or it's so easy, or, you know, <laughs> we got to call it what it is, and we're going to talk more about this. Let, letting an eight-year-old determine whether they should have life-altering surgery? I already know some of you I ain't ever going to see again, because we're all Christians up to a certain point, right? Because it's good for them? No, it's making them happy in the moment when they don't have a good When I was eight, right, I wanted to live with wolves. I actually wanted to live with wolves. I'm not exaggerating that. If my mother was here, I have books I wrote. I thought that was a job, all right? I still kind of do, but that's not great. But you get my point. Society lends itself, right? It, it, the slow decline, and listen, it's already become normal for us. Even though we say it's wrong, we're just like, oh, that's a normal discussion to be had. We should debate this on a political stage. It's madness. But we have to now, which is why it becomes even more important as the world slides more and more. And, and, and if you don't see the writing on the wall, 
Culture's already decided what's right and wrong. There, there's, there's probably no changing that, but the church can't move. We can't move. Our society doesn't dictate good. Our surrounding culture, and society doesn't want your good. They don't. Our surrounding culture doesn't dictate good. Your government doesn't dictate your They don't care about your good. That doesn't mean there aren't individuals. They don't. They care about your money, and they care about their power and status that comes from stepping on us. And that's not, now, you know, now, that's reality. Governments across the world. Our surrounding culture doesn't dictate good, and, your, and this is important, your comfort and desires don't dictate good. There's a lot of times I want to do things, and things make me comfortable that are not good. And we, we intrinsically know that, but how far does it go? Where does the line go between what I say is okay and you say is okay, and it, right? Because it does inevitably, to me, it's a philosophical quandary, right? Like, at what point... Does it, do they, they're going to clash. What you think is right, what I think, eventually are going to clash. So there has to be a truth that we can hold on to even when we don't trust our feelings. That's the beauty of God's word. You don't have to always agree with it. You just got to believe it. You got to agree that God is good even if you don't know. I, that's what I'm saying. Listen to the overall point. I'm not saying you not believe in God. I feel like I have to define things you know, for 18 different crowds out here. Clearly, I just defined that for you. But I do think <clears throat> your comfort and desires don't dictate good. And I can go the other way. Telling people that their salvation is dependent on their actions. Don't lie to yourself and say because they call themselves Jesus that you're actually putting their salvation and their holiness on him and the cross. It isn't a final atonement. It isn't all sufficient. You say it's dependent on them at all or you at all, then it what? Don't lie to yourself. That's just as big of a lie. I heard a guy the other day preaching, oh, they're just preaching, you can do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. You're... See, I almost said something that wasn't godly. You are foolish to think that. Because you're taking away the power of the Holy Spirit to convict. It's not my job to make you live right through threats. It's my job to tell you about a holy God who can make you right. Now, I can hold you accountable and tell you what's right and wrong, and then we're called to do that, which is why some of you don't want to go to church. You don't want to be, you want community when it's like fun times. You don't want community when it's like, hey, I don't like community when Luke's going, Todd, you can't call people idiots, right? Which is what I was going to say, right? Dang it, I did it anyway. <laughs> That is simple. Anyway, the slippery slope of personal convictions in Christianity. We have this thing where we take verses out of context, particularly in 1 Corinthians, where we say that personal convictions sometimes, right? That my personal conviction can mean, if I'm not personally convicted by it, then it's okay. That's not what it meant. What Paul was saying is like in areas that it comes down to whether you think it's wrong to eat meat or you think it's wrong to, uh, you know, wear pants as a lady? I don't know. You want to wear a hat? It doesn't matter. You don't want to listen to this certain music. Paul's saying follow the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. It doesn't mean times when it contradicts God's word where it's very clear. Get what I'm saying? It's a slippery slope to say, well, I'm just not. I hear this all the time. Well, I'm not personally convicted by that. I'm not personally convicted by, you know, not submitting to my husband. I'm not convicted by that. Okay. I'm not convicted about sleeping with prostitutes. At what line is it? 
right? I say submission because I'm, I'm, listen, if I'm already going to offend people, let's just get on it, right? I've offended myself too. Sometimes personal conviction can be a slippery slope. You get what I mean? We have to come back to God's word. Our convictions will never trump God's word. Easy way to put it. We've got to be willing to accept that there are things we want that are wrong simply because God says they are wrong. I get it. I mean, I, I make a joke about it, but I'm going to be honest for a second. Like, it's really hard for me when people wrong me, and I mean, like, betray me. You ever been betrayed? Raise your hand if you've been betrayed. A lot of you haven't. That's awesome, for real. But if you've been betrayed, my family, and I don't know if it was necessarily taught, but kind of my family, right, is you're done with people. I'm not going to be mean to you, and I still carry this. I'm not going to go out. I'll still give you $20. I'll still, but I'm done with you. I will never, ever give you the chance again to betray me again until I remember, but boy, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't do that to me. Sometimes I want to be able to go, God, but this person is evil, right? This person, this Christian has hurt me so bad by slipping in this area or condemning me. God, why do I have to want good for them? Because God said to love your enemies. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then I just cling to the fact that there are things that I want that are wrong, and they're wrong because God says they're wrong, even if I don't understand it. There's too much self-focus in the church today, too much about what makes me comfortable, what makes me happy, right? And I can fall into that. Sometimes, guys, I didn't want to, I didn't want to start this series. I really didn't. That's why I kept pushing it off and kind of do all these, because I know if, what's going to come of it, Right? And I've given people a lot of ammo over my life, which is why I want to do the thing where I just stand up and tell you everything bad I've ever done, like that's going to stop it, right? But that's, that's, that's the truth. The slippery slope of personal conviction, too much self-focus, and I'm going to tell you right now, in the church today, there's too much self-idolatry wrapped in the word freedom. I'm allowed to do this. Oof. When you, who, you, who are you trying to talk into it? She's going to come play some music. That's not bad for me. A little long. When I first started preaching, this is no joke. I had some people come from another church support us, this older couple. Such a cool Christian couple. Members in our church, they came support us all the time. They're awesome people. Still love them to death. But I used to legitimately preach 15, 20 minutes, and I was like, boy. And they'd come up, and they were so sweet. They'd go, that was just, that was so good. It's just kind of like just fast food there, isn't it? In and out. Right? <laughs> And now I got people going, Todd, that's just, that's so long, right? <laughs> I get it. I'm going to ask you some questions, guys. We all have to ask ourselves these questions. Where do you stand on good and evil? Where do you stand on good and evil? Do you truly, and you have to be honest with yourself, for real. I have to be honest with myself. This isn't about me watching you. It's you and God right now, okay? These are just questions to ask. Do you truly bend your definition of good and evil around the word of God, or you just try to find ways to justify your desires? You've never. Will you, will I, and, and I'm going to be honest, I can't tell you 100% certainly. I hope I will, but I'm scared a lot. Maybe you are too. Are you willing to stand for God's truth in the culture wars? 
Will you stand on the word of God even if other Christians are telling you that up is down and down is up? Because they do. God, what do you mean? The Bible says that. They'll infiltrate infiltrate the church. Will you stand for God's truth in the culture wars? What are the areas in your life that you know you're not comfortable with? How about that? What are the areas that you, you justify love over truth and thinking they're separate? I'm not, again, remember, we're not even talking about going and like challenging someone. We're saying just where you will, you'll bend because you want to make someone comfortable. Hey, I'll drink some arsenic with you because you are, and I want to make you feel safe. The beauty of the gospel, and I kind of told you the gospel at the beginning. I don't really need to tell you again. But I will tell you this. For those of you that feel guilty and condemned, in Christ there is no condemnation. Because he knew that sometimes you'd still get confused as to what's good and evil. That sometimes you would still choose, right, that fleshly way. That you're not a finished product yet. And that's the beauty of Jesus is that his good has, will, and always is overcoming your evil. That's why the Bible says we live in Christ. Right? I no longer live, but he lives in me. That's a beautiful thing. See, that's another way that the church is called evil good. They have called condemnation, right? They've called condemnation accountability. But accountability has to give you hope, Right? It has to say it's not over. Stand back up. Follow him. Condemnation says you've gone too far. He doesn't want you anymore. And some of you in this room, your repentance should come in the places where you say this is the line that God can still save and use someone. And if they do this, they're, they're unusable, unsaved garbage. Because the scary thing is you're condemning yourself. Because someone else's line is what you've done. The gospel's a beautiful thing. In the midst of the darkness and the domain, when we had no hope, remember what was foretold to us. Right? There will come a light. Right? A dawn is going to come in the darkness. And it's going to bring light to the dark places and hope to the hopeless and love to the unlovable and healing to the brokenhearted and freedom to the captive. And that came and that person is Jesus. He existed, and he came to bring us out of darkness, to forgive us of our sins, the things that we don't do, right, and the things that we do that are contrary to his will. If you're in this room, and maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're the person that you're struggling, you don't know God, and you're like, well, I've, I've, I've had an abortion, or maybe you're the person that says, I, I, I am a homosexual, I've struggled with that, and God doesn't want me. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And he's going to get the same message for you. Stop worrying about whether or not you can overcome that sin. You can't right now. Stop worrying about that. You'd have to be willing to admit that it's wrong, right, even though you love it. And it's the same with alcoholism or drug addiction. It's the same thing. But the expectation that you're going to overcome it overnight is he knows this. The question isn't whether or not you can be perfect from this moment on. The question is, will you admit your imperfection and put your hope in a perfect Savior? Can you come to God today? I love you.
have to tell you you're drinking arsenic. Will you come to God today and say, Lord, I recognize my sin. I recognize my evil. I know that it's, I'm broken and lost. I need you. I may not get any of it, but I believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, that you died for my sins and that you were raised from the dead on the third day where 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Christ. AI told me that they believe, right? It's a crazy thing. I asked AI, based on evidence, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and it said yes. Isn't that wild? An impartial thing, based on historical evidence, says it has to be true. That's because it is true. And you can be saved. You can be pulled out of the darkness. You can be given light. And you have to just admit that you need him. Confess that you're a sinner. Right? That just means you've been separated from God. I want your way. I will follow you. I give you my sin. I can't fix myself. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The bad news is that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin are death. The good news is that the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. You can have it today. It's real. I didn't grow up in church. They still hate me, but he doesn't. Whatever you do, whether a believer that needs to to repent of caving, or whether you're in this room today and you need a savior, because you do, don't leave the same as you came in. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you. I was you, except I was told to go behind a creepy door. I'm just telling you to come up here and pray with these people. I trust them. And remember I told you earlier, I don't trust people. I trust these people. Don't leave here the same you came in. Don't leave here without knowing that, Lord forbid, a bus crash or you get hit by a semi, that you would be home in paradise with Jesus today. There's nothing you've done that he can't pull you out of. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to. 